Welcome to Fostering Solutions, a podcast that uplifts people and enterprises making positive impact in communities around the world. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Foster. My guest today is Oma Holloway. Oma, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Good, good, good. Tell the audience about yourself. Who is Oma Holloway? Well, I am a native of uh, Chicago, Illinois. I grew up on the south side of Chicago and actually uh, attended Catholic schools um, from kindergarten on through college, actually. So, um, and with the, you know, coming from a family who um, were HBCU graduates, my father is from Chicago, Illinois. My mother is from Wichita Falls, Texas. Uh, she, uh, they both met at Tennessee State University, so we have a long tradition of, of uh, HBCUs in our family, uh, something we're very committed to. So following graduation from St. Ignatius in Chicago, I actually went to Xavier University of Louisiana, where um, I played basketball for a couple of years, and I majored in political science and history and minored in English uh, with the intention of going into public service. That was um, something that I was very committed to and received a fellowship to go to NYU, the Patricia Robert Harris uh, Fellowship at NYU to um, go to the Wagner School of Public uh, uh, Wagner School of Public Service. So uh, that's what got me to New York City. So I am currently the uh, COO, Chief Operating Officer at a community development corporation called Bridge Street Development Corporation in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn. And the focus of the work that I do is uh, really committed to helping low to moderate income residents of Central Brooklyn to uh, maintain and thrive in civ civic and economic opportunities in um, in Brooklyn. So, you know, my journey getting me here has has always I've always been committed to com to community service and public service, and I've been. Uh, I've been pretty fortunate that my entire career has been working with nonprofits, both large, small, and mid-size, um, including organizations like the National Urban League, um, the uh, Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse with Columbia University, the, the Door for Community Alternatives, and now working with Bridge Street Development Corporation. That's, that's good. You were pretty focused from, a, from it seems like it's, you started off with a focus I know with me, I started off in one career and ended up in another. So it's kind of good that you found your passion early, it sounds like. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting to have a journey where I did not do, uh, I have never worked in the private sector. That is wow. very, um, you know, it's very interesting that my, since the beginning of my career, I've worked in city agencies, I've worked in nonprofits, but they've always been centered on some type of public service. So, you know, I've been pretty fortunate in that way. And grew, I'm, you know, you're from the south side of Chicago. I know another <laughs> famous woman. Oh, could be about your age. I don't know. You may have met her. I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, always, I, I, I make jokes because she went to Whitney Young High School, which was one of the high schools I desperately wanted to go to. And my parents said I had to go to St. Ignatius. <laughs> so, 
it was a good foundation, but I'm like, I could have been maybe teammates been, or, or classmates with a certain individual that uh, I would have loved to say was a, a friend or I knew her personally. I know, that would have been so cool. So describe, you kind of touched on the fact that you've been in public service for your whole career. So what was your career trajectory um, like? Where did you start? We know where you are now, but you know, kind of tell us some more about your career journey. Well, my career pretty much started with uh, Xavier University. Um, when I went to Xavier, I pretty much did had no real focus. I know I loved politics. I knew that I had an interest in, you know, I think I, at the time I was thinking about the FBI, CIA. Uh, those were the type of careers that I thought I would, you know, um, that I would go into. But getting the uh, fellowship to come to NYU and uh, going to grad school in public service, it was at a time there was a major recruitment for people of color to go into grad school and to really think about careers in public service. Uh, you know, there was some concern that there were a lack of people going into government, a uh, lack of talented individuals going into, um, even uh, running for uh, campaigns or, you know, deciding to go into, um, public service in terms of being a, a public servant as in, in government. Mm -hmm. So that's how I ended up at NYU. And I thought it was a, it kind of that type of curriculum in urban planning and nonprofit management was a way to not get me into um, what I thought would be a little bit confining going into strict government service, but to also see the range of what nonprofits can do and what public service can mean beyond just running for a public office. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, that's how I got started. And I had wonderful opportunities in New York. Um, I had wonderful opportunities in New York City to work for startup um, startup projects, pilot projects that worked uh, like a, a public defenders, new innovative of projects, working with uh, public defenders, uh, working with um, ways to look at poverty in a different way and how to be pretty much solution oriented or, um, and, or you know, working for larger nonprofits like uh, National Urban League, they gave me an opportunity to, do, to work in the education and youth development field um, across the country and developing pilot projects, scholarship programs in multiple cities and being part of the, that uh, team of creating those innovative projects, monitoring those and really doing some of the research to see what impact it had on our community be very fulfilling because it sounds very entrepreneurial even mm -hmm. though you're in the nonprofit sector it sounds like you were really uh, a, a social entrepreneur just listening to that yeah it, you know I've always looked at my career because I've worked in multiple organizations and I've you know I've always been uh, inspired by individuals especially women of color who have worked in who've worked in this field and they may have started off as a caseworker or a social worker or, uh, you know, even um, 
a director, a coordinator in a program and really very intentional of where they wanted to go in terms of moving up and eventually either becoming COOs or creating their own nonprofits because they identified a need and they saw where there were uh, definitely gap areas and they're willing to take a risk to say, we could do this a little bit better. Um, I did some consulting at one time. I had my own consulting agency, which I was able to uh, have an, support these agencies in different ways. If it was through program man, um, program management, or uh, board development, or grant writing, but it's always been uh, I've always had a, a strong passion to just be in the weeds, like just to be on the ground. Um, you know, working within organizations and even working with organizations that were finding some challenges and being that vehicle to hopefully get them out of those crisis situations, identify resources for them and um, really move them to the next level. And so I've, you know, had those opportunities on both sides to be as a consultant to, to support these organizations and now being right there in the mix of it. Uh, making those changes within um, some already traditional uh, organizations in the community. Awesome, awesome. So you talked about your education at Xavier and you talked about your education at NYU. So what are some other skills and attitudes that you had to learn or to adopt uh, to be successful now as a, as a COO of a um, community development corp? Well, one of the fundamental skills and that I appreciate that from my, I'm going to attribute to my Catholic education and my mother being a, a teacher, uh, writing, having excellent writing skills. Um, I'm, you know, one of my roles as a COO is I do a lot of the grant writing. Right. And I think it's a skill that everybody appreciates, especially in the nonprofits, everyone needs, but people, um, you know, you don't, you take for granted that that's a fundamental skill that some of us take for granted is the the, the ability to write, um, to communicate in many different, different uh, mediums. And, you know, it's not just via, now that we're in this age of Zoom and, you know, we have, and we have autocorrect and <laughs> we have all of this. I have, uh, Every day, I appreciate that I've learned the fundamentals. I do understand how to write in different mini formats and different skills to really get your message across in, um, in writing and also how to do that pitch to individuals because that is, the, that is the basis of a lot of our nonprofits. That is the lifeline for a lot of the work we do that sometimes we take for granted. And that has been uh, a skill set that I appreciated because when I was not working and needed to, you know, wanted to go in different directions, it was my ability to write that I was that I was able to sell what I could offer many organizations and um, individuals to support their organizations. The other skill set is just being just being very focused as as a as a leader, not you know rigidly focused, but being very focused and confident that um, you're there for a mission. You your your goal and your intention is to have a positive impact, um, and that the individuals that you work with also uh, fundamentally want to 
they also want to have an impact and they want to uh, have, uh, you know, they really want to help. They really want to do something different in their community. And having that type of focus that uh, this is where our mission is, this is what our values are, you know, really helps guide what we do every, every day. It just gives me the, the joy and energy that when I wake up and I go to work, I'm there to, to make a difference. Right, right, right. So, so that kind of limits your um, mission creeping. It's instead of just getting off track and trying to do random things, that would help with that, I, I assume. Yes. Um, you know, I think that there is, you know, I hear that it's, it's, I've always picked organizations that I believed in their mission and their cause. Um, and, you know, so that has helped. It's also those that have given opportunities. And, and I do think it's important where, they, where you either see within the organization that there are opportunities for growth or that there's opportunities to create growth. And that has also, when, you know, I've tried to identify organizations, those are the organizations that I've been most um, successful in. And those, and that's the type of organization that I'm trying to establish as a COO at Wood Street Development Corporation. Right, right, right. So talk some more about what you do. As you mentioned, grant writing. So that I know for nonprofits, that's huge. So what are what are some of your other responsibilities as COO of Bridge Street Corp? Well, you know, it's uh, SCOO, part of my responsibility is obviously to support and really uh, be the driving force behind the uh, strategic plan and mission of the C what the COO, the CEO has uh, put forth. Um, at Brook Street, as a community, as a community development corporation, we have the opportunity to work on a, a myriad of programs and services. We have a couple of program areas. One is economic development, senior services, real estate, affordable housing, youth workforce development, among um, some other projects. And we also believe in collaborating with other community organizations to initiate community change. So um, it gives you, me an opportunity to um, work with our team to come up with projects or if we are given a, an opportunity how these projects can help our low to moderate income residents in Bedford-Stuyvesant and primarily. Um, so I have had the, the, the pleasure and sometimes the challenge of how do we develop affordable housing units, especially for seniors that allow them to live comfortably and independent, um, how to have programming that keeps people um, programming that really helps with their economic development and financial growth. Um, ironically, I have been able to get over 1,100 summer youth uh, employment slots and become an advocate for youth employment, especially for 16 to 24 year olds, and now um, providing uh, more opportunities for certification programs and education alternatives for, um, for young adults. Uh, we also have done a lot with economic development, which I am the most proudest of, especially during the pandemic. Um, we were able to uh, establish ourselves as an essential business, even during the, the pandemic. So when most of the, when um, a lot of businesses had, um, you know, they opted to, we, we need to work out of, you know, we need to work home. We took a chance and decided that we would 
uh, be as safe as we could be, but still be out in the community working with our small businesses, especially those who are really um, facing the, the the hardship of what this pandemic did to them. Um, we were able to do a really broad assessment to find out in real time what was happening to our small businesses, especially our minority-owned businesses in our community, as well as get resources and get funding directly to them. And um, so, you know, we have been able to really bring um, hundreds of thousands of dollars directly to our small businesses uh, during this time. And we continue to receive additional funds and support so that we can continue the work that we are doing with our small businesses in, in uh, Central Brooklyn. Wow, so you were wor you were working during the pandemic when everyone was locked, locked down, you were still out there. That's amazing. Yeah, it was a, um, it was definitely a challenge, but and and, and it, it had its risk. Let's I'm not going to be at all say that, you know, COVID COVID was real. COVID is real. It still continues um today. Um, but we were able to uh, take advantage of a lot of the city programs, a lot of the loans and funding sources. Uh, one of the projects that I've been the most proud of was it's called Open Streets. I don't know if um familiar with Open Streets. But I um, attended your session at the um, AFI conference when you when you talked about it, and I was yeah. going to visit Mother's Day weekend. Then it rained, so I never. Yeah, yeah, the rain has that. That's the the downside. We actually had to cancel this weekend because the rain. Right. Yeah. So talk about open streets. Um, open streets is an initiative that the Department of Transportation in New York City. Um, offer to community-based organizations, nonprofits, or community groups to close down uh, streets in, in New York City where merchants and the community would have car-free spaces uh, to extend their footprint in terms of their businesses. As you know, in New York, when there was a shutdown, people were not allowed to really um, to dine or shop indoors. So um, the alternative is was to bring their their footprints outside um, and utilizing the streets, the closed streets, we were able to give them um, an opportunity what they could not do indoors, they could do now outdoors. It also provided the community um, open space. And as you know, New York space is a premium, <laughs> so, you know, so having outdoor space where people could uh, commune, people could ride their bikes, people could just walk freely without uh, cars coming, you know, and, and, and really being the distraction or um, a danger to them. This allowed for many activities to happen on, the, on our city streets. It also allowed for our merchants to have more opportunities to actually, you know, do, do commerce. Um, in our neighborhood in Bed-Stuy, it's predominantly, it's still, even though gentrification is very, is, is happening, it is still predominantly a minority uh, community. There were very few organizations, and, and one thing I need to say, Bridge Street is an organization of color, it's a predominantly African-American organization, who were willing to take on the responsibility of closing down a commercial street uh, streets and working with the merchants to make this a successful uh, destination for increasing their foot traffic and hopefully get more people shopping in the neighborhood. 
Um, and we shut down. Taking in New York, because you know, yeah, that is a major accomplishment. <laughs> and, and we had six. We shut down six blocks, <laughs> six wow. blocks in Brooklyn. So it was, it was, but it was successful. Um, many of our businesses were able to increase their revenue by twenty to almost fifty percent. So it's it's one day a week. It, it's one day. Uh, once uh, one a Sunday uh, for about twenty weeks that we shut down. So what what do businesses in the area still need, or you know, in terms of support during these crazy, you know, with inflation and COVID, and I mean everything that they're going through? What do they still need in your area? Because I'm sure they're probably similar around the the needs are similar around the country. Well, you know, ironically, some of the the, the needs are the same. They still need a, you know additional funding and capital. Yeah, they need access to capital. It's, you know, it's still very difficult for a lot of our businesses to get back on their feet when, you know, after the loans, uh, the PPP loans uh, stopped coming, um, access to funds to help support the rising cost of gas and electricity um, to, to deal with any, you know, facade work. It's, you know, now there's a lot of discussion on preparedness for disasters, even in places like, you know, Brooklyn and in Brooklyn, New York, you know, we had Sandy, but we've had um, intense flooding and some of the, the, the aftermath of some of these uh, extreme heat and extreme, you know, um, rain or extreme cold. So we're seeing a lot of that. Even um, now that people are going back to work, the uh, there is an unintended consequence of are people now not patronizing their local merchants as much anymore because you know now they're going back into the city. They're going, you know, they're you know still comfortable shopping online. So really trying to um, encourage people to still support your your small businesses. Um, as we see the neighborhoods change, even the businesses are starting to change. So making sure that our businesses um, have a social media presence, have a, um, an e-commerce option, you know, that they are, they are part of that, um, you know, they're part of these systems. And, you know, financially, you know, they need the support. Uh, one of the things, one, one thing that happened that a lot of businesses could not qualify for some of the resources because they still needed to help with filing taxes or they needed to understand what the changes in the, the, the IRS system or what they needed to have their paper in order. They needed to have their house in order before they could qualify for some of these um, resources. So we were trying to make that commitment to do that um, and also how to diversify uh, in terms of becoming MWBE certified, uh, minority women um, business enterprise certifications on a federal, state, and city level are options that can be very lucrative, but it, it takes some time, and, it, and some people don't know how to access it. Awesome. So how does, and you kind of mentioned in, in passing gentrification, how has gentrification affected your community? Well, it has had a profound impact on on Bed Stuy. I, I don't think that's a, a big I mean, back, secret. Back in the day, you know, Bed Stuy was do or die. Bed Stuy. <laughs> <laughs> 
It has changed. It has changed. Um, you know, it has. I mean, you're saying, you know, we go from a community that was probably 80% African American, that's now, you know, 54%. Um, that's how dramatic, and since the last census, uh, that it's a, it's a dramatic change. Um, and you see that. You see that in the cost of living, you see that in the rents. I mean, it has been. Uh, it has been an astronomical increase in the rents in, in Brooklyn and for which people are being displaced. The, the, the number of individuals that are, you know, having to go into the shelters or move out of the city, move out of the borough, um, because they just can't afford to live here. Um, you see that in what's happening even with the, the, yes, there's diversity in the number of businesses and the type of businesses that are in Bed-Stuy. But you also see it caters to a different a demographic then um, and that has had an impact on the mom and pop um, businesses uh, that have been here for for you know 20, 30, even 40 years and you're seeing some of those closures because the rents are being increased or they're not being patronized as much because a lot of the people in the community have moved away. So some of that um, connection to the, the, the neighborhood um, has been a challenge. And so, you know, some of our role as at Bridge Street and, and part of my role in this community has been how do we, how do we keep our residents here? How do we support them to stay in their um, where they are? They are able to receive affordable housing, or they're able to stay in their homes. Um, how do we make sure that our businesses don't close down? They just make the pivot and the shift so that they too can uh, be competitive in their own neighborhood. Right, that's right. A major, major undertaking. So what do you, when you think about your career, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first started? <laughs> um, how important taking a break is? <laughs> like, yes, absolutely. How, how important it is to take, um, to take a break and acknowledge that that's okay and things will go on with, you know, that, uh, you know, that you have to trust your team or that, you know, um, but I, I think taking a break is is the biggest part. I think the other lesson I had to learn, especially in the nonprofit field, there's an assumption that you're that you can save everybody. There's like, uh, you know, and you have to. That's probably one of the the greatest lessons I had to learn early on, is that you want to, you can, you are not going to be able to save everybody. Um, however, you need to try to get to have a reach or touch as many people as you can. Mm. Uh, and, you know, and sometimes I think we come in, we come into this field, you know, with um, being, being very idealistic. I think we need to be um, ambitious. I do think you need to be, um, you do need to have a certain level of hopefulness that you can solve as much as you can, but, you know, there, there has to be a point. Um, that you need to know that you, you're not going to be able to save everybody. Um, but, you know, I think the other part that's just very important, and especially as a Black woman in this field, is the balance that you need to take a break. This this can be, we tend to do the superwoman complex in every aspect of our life. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, and I've watched too many of us and myself included that the only time we take a break is if there's a health issue or you know there's such a tremendous crisis in our family and even within that i've seen you know and i've been guilty of this is that there's a crisis in the family and while i'm trying to deal with the crisis i'm trying to get on every zoom call or trying to contact folks and still trying to manage where i am in that level of stress you have to trust your team you have to believe or that you've given all the tools and put the foundation down that things will go on and do well even when you take a break. So I've had to uh, learn that sometimes the hard way, but I'm I'm glad that that's something that I'm I'm starting to prioritize more and more. That is so true, because before my current position in philanthropy, I ran a nonprofit and there were years that are blur because all all I did was work. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't remember exactly what happened, but I just started, I was like, this is ridiculous. So I started scheduling vacations. I got a timeshare to, you know, I got to use this. <laughs> so it's like, it, you're so, you're so right. You are so right. We have to prioritize rest and peace and, you know, off time. Well, you know, I have a 16 year old mm-hmm. and uh, there were times that she would say when she was growing up that she did not want us to eat in the neighborhood. She did not want us to do anything that was in Bedford-Stuyvesant because people would, would stop us and have conversations and, you know, and, and she just kind of felt like we, I, there was never an end to my day. And so we would create mommy daughter days where we would go to Manhattan. Yeah, <laughs> we where would, no one knows you, they can. No one knows me. I don't <laughs> to anybody. I don't have to try to answer any questions. But it, it did. It did bring to. It did make me stop and say, you know, I get it. And so you know, and then like you said, schedule schedule a vacation and and really turn the phone off and and say, I, I just cannot be reached. Things will be okay. I'll, Things I'll, will go on. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So in these trying times, what, what gives you hope? Like what, what, you know, as you get up every day, hitting the streets there in Brooklyn, what, what gives you hope? Uh, what gives me hope is the, the work I've done in most of my career that has been a consistent theme that I've worked with young people. Um, and most of them in internships. They were either in high school or a young adult in internships. So what gives me hope? The other day I get on the bus, not paying attention. I look at the bus driver and he goes, hi, Miss Oma. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh my God. I, you know, was one of my young men who had a lot of challenges when he was 18 years old, he came into the program, he was out of school, out of work. And, you know, people, a lot of comments used to be to write him off. Um, And so now you're talking 10 years later, about seven years later, he's the bus driver MTA. Bus driver, stable job, and stable job indeed. I was like, he was in the, 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 I could not stop smiling. Mm-hmm. I could not. Like, I, so when you say we give, it's these moments like this, when I have, I, I you, you can appreciate this, when I have one of my, a couple of my young women in the program graduated from high school, 
but they came back and they said, I'm now a Sora. <laughs> they come back. Aww. They got their degree and they're doing well. And, and you know, so what, what gives me hope is that there's so many, I can tell you so many stories of somebody who says we got our first home from your organization. Um, you know, back in the day, I was in your program, or, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity. I was a staff member of yours. And yeah, and I've even had people go, yeah, you fired me. <laughs> and, <laughs> but you know what, I'm now running this, I get it now, I understand, I thank you. So when those are those, that's what gives me hope. And, and the, the good thing about working in your community where you live, <laughs> where you spend a lot of your time, mm-hmm. You have so many moments like that, so you know you're you're on the, you're doing the right thing. That's right. That's right. Thank you so much. The time has flown by. Thank you so much for joining me today and and sharing about your great work in in Brooklyn. Any any parting words for the audience? Well, you know, try to find what you love, um, and if and that's what gives you strength. And if you can give back to your community, if you don't, you know, I've had the fortune of working in my community. But even if that can't happen, volunteer. There are so many organizations like us, or support, just support the local businesses, support your local community-based organizations. Um, that's what keeps us going. And you it definitely will, it's, it's, it's a commitment that you can make to your own community. Awesome, thank you so much. Thank you, you have a good day. Take care. Bye. Mm-hmm.